Hi, and welcome to the DebtWire Middle Market Podcast. I'm Bill Weisbrod. And I'm Catherine Perloff. So today we're joined by Todd Koretsky, a partner in Allen & Overy's Leverage Finance and Private Debt Group in New York. We're going to talk about the current state of middle market private debt finance in the current economic climate with the U.S. economy now several months into feeling the impact of the coronavirus pandemic. How are you doing, Todd? Hi, guys. I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, great. I'm happy to have you on. So just to start, um, what are your middle market leverage loan deal terms like now compared to the beginning of the year or late last year before you know we entered this um, coronavirus era in North America? Very different is the uh, is the theme. So toward uh, the end of 2019 and the very beginning of 2020, uh, basically the pre-COVID-19 era, um, the, the the market was almost at a fever pitch. Terms were very borrower friendly, uh, leverage levels were higher, lenders were competing aggressively to take part in underwriting processes um, and to sort of win the bid on on relationship plays. Um, you know, there was there was a continuous trickle down effect from the big cap market, um, on the, particularly on the syndicated side, where the more borrower friendly, looser, more quote aggressive terms had really been um, um, transferring essentially from, you know, big cap distributed institutional deals down to middle market deals, which I should mention, you know, are um, both placed in the syndicated institutional market. And of course, there's a large middle market uh, private debt or, or direct lending um, segment as well. Um, and we can, we can make those distinctions a bit as we go through this discussion. So, um, for, just as an example, um, you know, we were seeing major adjustments and to EBITDA addbacks um, pre-crisis. We were seeing even occasionally covenant light deals make their way into, you know, the middle market. Um, essentially, everywhere that the documentation in terms, uh, aside even from the economics, which clearly were tighter pre-COVID, everything else was loosening up, you know, as well. Now you flash forward to now, it's June of 2020. We've been in, you know, essentially locked down for going on four months. And, you know, deal flow stalled r rather starkly in say March, and then has only been, um, you know, beginning to sort of um, reemerge now. And in the meantime, um, there's been a lot of amendment and other relief activity happening, which we can talk about, um, you know, after this. Um, and I would say now when, when deals are getting done, they, they look and feel quite different than pre-COVID. Um, and what I mean is it's most of the traditional levers around um, lender protections um, have been tightened. Um, lower leverage, larger required sponsor equity infusions. Um, pricing, of course, has, you know, increased to the tune of a couple hundred basis points, you know, at least, and, and additional sort of upfront fees or OID. Uh, we're seeing we're seeing loans with shorter tenors. People just aren't, you know, lenders aren't as willing to go out seven years, even six years. Sometimes we're seeing, you know, four or five year term loans. Um, and occasionally liquidity requirements or anti-cash hoarding provisions where essentially borrowers are required 
to ensure that they've got cash on hand or, or availability under their revolver, you know, or potentially have to clean down or pay back their revolver um, in order to show the lenders that, they're, that they've got liquidity in the system. Um, and another, another interesting development that I'll flag, and it has to do with some changes to the U.S. tax code in recent years, is that lenders are seeking additional collateral, additional assets to support the loans. Um, and what comes to mind there are overseas or foreign assets or, or subsidiaries of, of companies, albeit middle market companies are less global than large caps, but m many have overseas operations. And historically, those revenues, assets, um, you know, and credit support was unavailable to U.S. borrowers due to uh, you know, tax constraints that I won't, I won't bore you with here today. But suffice to say, um, those assets are now accessible to lenders, and lenders are therefore wanting that additional protection. Um, my last point here in terms of, um, you know, where we are now versus where we were pre-COVID is, uh, look, I mean, good credits in performing industries with trusted sponsors, you know, are still garnering competitive terms, right? Not tip top of the market terms from January or Q4 of last year or throughout 19, um, but still, you know, competitive terms. And there are, and again, I, I think we could talk about this a bit more in this discussion. I mean, there are lenders eager to put money to work with, with uh, credits and um, sponsors that they are comfortable with. Um. Well, Howard, how did deal terms at present and things you're working on now compare to the few deals that were getting done, say March or April? Um, when markets were really uh, starting to fall apart, and um, you know, there there was in the early days of the crisis. Yeah, that was a wild ride, wasn't it? Um, March and April were um, were really quite a roller coaster. Yeah. So, um, I'll say that there there's a couple. There's basically two things happening now, um, and, and it, which is you know deals are getting amended, existing deals, and then you know there's new deals being done, albeit not as many. Um, and so I'll talk about both of those, you know, in turn. But first I'll flag that, look, in, in March and April, it, you know, it was triage, right? Everyone was reacting to this sudden shock to the system. Um, you know, the lockdown, of course, caused businesses across industries and, you know, across geographies in the U.S. to, to essentially close shop and uh, revenues all but um, evaporated for many, many businesses. And so in that context, liquidity was the theme of the day. Uh, borrowers were hoarding cash, drawing down on revolvers immediately. Um, I think there was really a, a, a effectively like a run on the banks, although not in this case, not, not really, not exclusively banks, um, where every CFO, treasurer, sponsor, you know, and all their counsel were thinking, um, how do we ensure that we have enough oxygen in the system, you know, that we don't, um, you know, suffocate in this, in this lockdown. So, um, you know, in those early days, there was just constant dialogue amongst borrowers, sponsors, lenders, lawyers, um, you know, essentially monitoring day to day what, um, you know, what the players were going to do to ensure that the, uh, the, you know, the ship stayed afloat. Um, and then flashing forward a few weeks, then lenders um, were constantly in dialogue with the borrowers about relieving pressure, right? What amendments are necessary or would lenders be willing to consider to enable borrowers to 
to continue to operate their business perhaps in a in a lower tier you know performance wise than they had previously and so amendments started bubbling up left and right uh, and those amendments which are you know in this sense they were they were they're recutting deals so not true originations and these are discussions between you know parties that are already in a relationship but they felt like deals because the negotiations were rather pitched um, so changes such as lenders being willing to accept temporarily paying kind interest, maybe delaying amortization, uh, looking potentially to reclassify prepayments that were made, you know, some months before when, when the company, the borrower felt flush. Um, and then perhaps, you know, EBITDA definitions were being looked at anew to see if, one, the, um, the impact of the coronavirus, you know, pandemic and the lockdown could indeed be captured in an adjusted EBITDA number, i.e. could the EBITDA of the business for leverage, covenant compliance, reporting purposes be adjusted upward um, to take into account the fact that this coronavirus pandemic and all of its consequences was such a one-off, uh, non-operational, a non-persistent operational event. Um, and, in, and in some cases, I'll say, I mean, there have been actually addbacks EBITDA increase is specifically negotiated to reflect um, the, the almost, um, quote, fictional aspect of the COVID shutdown. Now, qu query if that's the right approach when this shutdown has persisted for so long, but at least initially the thinking was, you know, this was going to be a uh, quick but painful disruption, but the company's fundamentals were still intact. Again, it's always case by case. Um, and so, we did see a number of those uh, amendments throughout, I'd say, April and into May. Um, and I would also flag that, you know, at that time, we were talking about only one month in Q1 where the lockdown had, you know, had a real impact in March. And so when uh, financial reporting started to emerge, in say May for the Q1, you know, LTM financials, the impact was not horrendous. I think what'll be interesting is what happens come August when there have been four months of pandemic consequences in the LTM financials for Q2. And at that point, I think we might start seeing real covenant defaults, real, or at least conversations around forbearance and around covenant relief. Um, Ideally, companies would come to their lenders and their relationship partners ahead of time, but I do think that um, the real test on, on, on the deep impact of the situation is yet to come. Um, yeah, you know, I want to zero in a little on that March-April sort of um, time period where people were kind of left and right emergency looking for solutions. Um, according to our reporting, um, you know, borrowers uh, drew down on revolvers in March, which um, put stress on some non-bank lenders who in turn were sometimes slow to fund or looked for ways out of the funding um, of these drawdowns. Uh, at the time, you know, were you aware of this dynamic and how is, um, this impacting the current funding environment to the extent that it's going on? Yeah, it's a, it's a good point um, because I think it's safe to say that when particularly non-banks underwrite revolvers and provide these lines, you know, alongside term loans, there is um, 
a very low probability, at least in terms of expectations, that those revolvers are drawn um, in full, or I should say at least a very low probability um, on the um, sort of on the in, in the financial model that all of the borrowers draw all of their revolvers in full sort of at the same time. I mean, that was um, sort of, a, you know, a, a black swan type event, I think, for these non-bank lenders. And so, yes, I did become aware privately of um, the fact that some non-bank lenders, funds, BDCs, whatever, you know, whatever their form they may take, um, again, institutions without you know, the benefit of deposits um, or, or even uh, not required to have um, capital coverage ratios um, as banks do, I did become aware of them being stretched, right? I mean, all of a sudden their, um, you know, their funds are being drawn through the revolvers and, and the institutions in some cases were, were strapped. Um, I'm aware that some um, cl clearly not, this is not a development that lenders want to advertise. So in the background, they were seeking some relief with the banks, potentially selling revolver participations to banks, which are, you know, sort of more capitalized, or um, or drawing down on revolvers, you know, for their own benefit. And um, but I would say I'm, I'm, people still funded revolvers, so I'm not aware of a um, of many situations. I can't cite one, but perhaps you have from your reporting where a one of these lending institutions failed to honor a draw request um, and became a, a defaulting lender essentially in that way. I think if had they done so, they you know, would have suffered a, a severe, if not fatal blow to their reputation in the market as a, uh, you know, as a solvent and reliable lender of record that sponsors and companies can, can count on, you know, to be there as, as they've um, agreed. Um, I, I will. I agree that that the drawdown on the revolvers has y utilized capital that otherwise potentially could have been available for for new deals. Um, and so I do think that the revolver drawdown has sapped capacity. And until revolvers are repaid in bulk, um, you know, private lenders are either required to raise additional funds or borrow themselves um, in order to ensure they have dry capital to take advantage of opportunities that, that present. Um, clearly some of the larger lenders with larger um, of an asset base, you know, we've seen active in recent weeks and, and th those are the, um, the big names that have adequate capital to continue operating their business, notwithstanding revolvers having been drawn so widely. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Well, so, um, I mean, has that dynamic, do you think has made some direct lending funds are the, being going through that experience, rethink their strategy with regards to hold sizes or funding revolvers? Um, and, you know, similarly, you know, are the same direct lending funds that were active late last year, early this year uh, as active now or um, as, as the cast of characters, would you say maybe shifted a bit? Well, I do, I do think that the, the drawdown was a wake up call for a number of financial institutions who always viewed revolvers as sort of a necessary evil, but not something to be feared in their, in the package being offered to, 
to their sponsors or borrowers. Um, I my impression is that it, you know um, uh, you know capital coverage ratios and simply ensuring that there's adequate dry powder in the bank uh, will be something focused on by risk committees and principles of of again non-bank uh, lenders you know going forward. Um, I do also think that. It's possible this is an inf this is one factor that influences lenders to join up with with erstwhile competitors to create club deals um, rather than um, you know go it alone and yes capture all the fees on a particular transaction but also uh, face all the exposure if if there's a, a dislocation or a deterioration in the borrower or they need to draw the revolver. Uh, they may look to other, you know, well-funded institutions to potentially take a piece of the revolver, um, but also, you know, a piece of the fees. You know, one interesting development here that I'll flag is banks themselves are beginning to develop private debt arms um, for middle market lending purposes. And so, you know, while those entities tend to be separate from their regulated bank um, affiliates, I do think there could be a symbiotic relationship where, private credit arm of a bank is able to compete for you know, middle market deals that where the sponsors and the borrowers don't want to take market risk going into the syndicated world, um, but potentially the bank affiliate could offer some relief on the revolver to their credit arm. That's interesting. Yeah, I have seen um, some of those affiliated firms uh, pop up recently. Um, is, is that dynamic something you you've seen happen or is that something you know that you're you think could uh could emerge well i have seen and i'm speaking with certain banks that are taking steps to create their private credit arms um in terms of partnering with their affiliated banks in order to uh, ensure that the revolver is you know fully taken care of um, i suspect there are some significant um compliance and legal restrictions that the in-house counsel um, folks would have to get comfortable with in order for uh, that relationship or that arrangement to be done overtly. So um, I can't, I, I don't want to speak uh, specifically to that having been done at this point. You know, it feels like um, you know, an arrangement that would make sense if it's permissible as a regulatory or legal matter. Got it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, you know, if the process of sourcing deals um, has changed, um, you know, from traditionally like investment bank intermediaries working with sponsor backed companies, um, you know, are the ways um, direct lenders are finding out about deals changing or getting involved now that there may even be new entrants um, uh, or has, has there been any change in those processes at all? There has, and I think that's a very good question because like everything that we're experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis now and for the past few months, um, you know, it's deal sourcing and, and pitching and, um, you know, identifying and vetting opportunities is happening remotely. So, you know, initially I'd say we saw flight to quality, meaning um, the, the bigger, more reliable and trusted um, financial institutions and sponsors for that matter were – you know, had an advantage, um, had a competitive advantage because they were viewed as being stable and not susceptible to, you know, the rough waters, you know, that were sinking other ships. 
um, you know, and, and, and moreover, relationships are key, existing relationships. So one thing I'll note, and it's true, I, I'm sure, across a variety of industries, is it's hard to pitch. It's hard to develop new relationships, you know, sitting in front of a computer looking through a video chat. So there's, a, there's an incumbency bias, I think, that emerged in terms of uh, or deal origination during the, or particularly during the early days of the, uh, of the crisis. Um, and so those, even within, even if you have the advantage of being, you know, a relationship, uh, in a, you know, in an existing relationship, or if you're coming at, you know, a, a potential opportunity cold, um, the key over the past few months has been creativity and, and, and really adding value. I mean, in ways that perhaps previously could have been overlooked or glossed over because let's be honest, when the market was as frothy as it was some months ago, you know, pretty much anybody can get a deal done. But, you know, I've heard of some pretty crafty ideas from direct lenders or, um, you know, other middle market financial institutions, things like offering bought incrementals, right, where maybe there's a syndicated credit facility out there, a company wants to raise additional loans for liquidity purposes, but are a bit nervous about going, you know, out to the syndicated institutional market to place an incremental. And, you know, perhaps there's a fund with the capital and the appetite to offer that incremental. They could step in and, and just, you know, buy it, right? Have it placed with them directly. And, and so the borrower wouldn't have to risk, you know, assume the market risk of, um, of going out widely. Um, so being creative, I, I think, is, is really key. And then, you know, another angle is, is for lenders is competitors. I mentioned this once before when I referred to the reemergence of club deals. There's that expression we've seen um, around town, I think, what is it, alone together? I, I feel like that's applicable to lenders as well because, you know, we may all be, you know, clients, and it's true for counsel, we're all, um, you know, hunting for our next opportunities, but we have to be conscious that um, we're going to need to team up with potentially our, our competitors uh, or our sort of friends in the, in the market. Uh, and so I think deals are coming to lenders from their former competitors more now than they would have in the past, because frankly, everybody needs a partner. Um, it's rare to see a single lender take down an entire tranche of, um, of debt, you know, in this, in this market, it does happen. There's been a few in the news, but I'd say more often than not sponsors are cobbling together small clubs of trusted lenders to offer their financing solution. Um, you mentioned, you know, deals for companies that are in need of liquidity, given what's going on. Um, are, are you seeing middle market borrowers able to raise these kinds of rescue finance loans as much as their big competitors? Because you, you mentioned that, say, a year, uh, a year six months ago, um, you know, almost anyone, unless they were really in big trouble, could, could raise money. Uh, for smaller companies, would you say that's still the case um, or, or not? So I think it's important to make a distinction between you know, additional liquidity and liquidity and and rescue financing. So I, I have seen quite a bit of activity in the uh, CACON or or you know incremental product, which, as our listeners, I'm sure 
appreciate is simply the increasing um, or adding on to an existing credit facility. Uh, I'm working on one uh, today as, as we speak where a company is not in trouble. It doesn't need a, a lifeline, but it could use additional liquidity and has room under its covenants and has, you know, performance that permits it to raise, you know, a modest amount of additional debt under its existing credit agreement. And it's doing so. Um, and it's, it's an example of prudent, um, you know, financial management. Um, and so those deals are getting done. These are, you know, seasoned issuers. These are companies that are already have facilities in the market and are looking to, um, you know, raise long-term capital in the sense of a, you know, multi-year term line, not just borrowing under their revolvers. Now, uh, further down the slope are the rescue deals. And, and of course, those are wh where companies are really, you know, running out of oxygen and need help in order to stay afloat, right? And you can, I'm sure you could um, identify the industries where you're likely to see that over the past few months, you know, in terms of retail or travel, um, you know, or, or, or consumer goods, et cetera. So those deals have been, it's hard to say because they're all very, private, very opaque, um, and done creatively, sometimes at a hold co level um, or sometimes at, you know, an, a sub deep subsidiary level. Uh, the terms can be, you, you know, they can be very expensive. And I think that's, that's the thrust of it, I think, in terms of answering your question is deals get done at a price. Price could be prohibitive if the company is deteriorating, you know, like the, the, the proverbial melting ice cube. Um, so I, I would I would simply say smaller middle market companies that are in desperate need of a lifeline, you know, I hope that they have deep relationships with sources of capital because it could be very expensive, if not, uh, you know, impossible to obtain appealing, you know, financing when you're um, when you're in such distress. But then again, there's where one sees distress and other sees opportunity. So um, you know, quite a few of the private debt funds have been hiring distressed debt professionals uh, to come in and um, bolster that part of their business. So um, it, it may indeed be that um, that so-called rescue or, um, you know, emergency liquidity, liquidity loans are becoming available from, from direct lenders who have the cash and have the expertise and are willing to do the analysis and kind of dig deep and, and make that risky loan at the right price. And uh, just to wrap things up, you know, and summarize uh, how the market is doing now, um, how is overall deal flow today compared to, you know, March and April? You know, are we seeing more of these rescue finance deals, uh, these sort of um, healthier liquidity add-ons um, and in what industries um, mostly are deals getting done? Is it the most impacted one, um, most impacted by COVID ones or, you know, is it ones that have, that uh, lenders see a better chance of recovery? So the latest, um, the latest that I've heard and observed is that uh, June has certainly been uh, a, a uh, re-emergence of origination of new deal activity. Um, you know, initially, uh, early days of the crisis, the deals that were getting done were in the software or tech space, right, or other sectors that were less affected by the coronavirus pandemic. Um, you know, I'd say over, over time, as, 
as market participants have gotten their arms around the you know the scope and the depth of this um of this sort of you know of this economic um downdraft activity is beginning to expand gradually into you know into other sectors entertain you know entertainment um as an example but i'd say overall deal activity reflects a um a very critical eye of of lenders on the industries that will be able to weather the post pandemic era um you know healthcare business services again software and technology um you know th those are areas of opportunity again you know subject to the individual businesses being appealing um i i have not personally seen a reemergence yet across um you know manufacturing retail travel uh, hospitality etc so i think the the long and the short of it is we do seem to be emerging from the darkness and deal activity is certainly picking up um as mentioned before there's quite a lot of um transaction activity around add-ons or incremental incurrences where you know existing borrowers are just looking for an additional liquidity cushion without resorting to drawing their revolvers um now the big question for me um which I'm keeping an eye on is the M&A market because what you know deal makers find most appealing are transactions you know event driven transactions often based on you know mergers and acquisitions right so the the typical you know LBO financing which in the syndicated market comes with generous fees um in addition to any um you know return on the investment and in the private debt world right i mean that again there's fees for services for providing providing an underwritten loan but also the um you know the coupons and the upfront fees could be um appealing given the transactional risk involved so i think as the m&a market begins to um you know regain its health then it a natural extension of that will be for the um for the for the debt financing market to you know to follow um so we're not out of the woods yet um but i am seeing green shoots and you know certainly hoping that um there's no resurgence of the of the virus and that everyone can you know get back to work effectively and start creating opportunities for doing deals well thanks todd appreciate you taking the time uh lot to discuss and should be even more over the next couple months i hope so it's a pleasure being here guys thanks very much thank you it was a great conversation thanks.